when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I'm Sari Delamont, your host. How's everybody doing out there? It's kind of a hard time right now. I'm thinking of y'all, and I'm really pleased with how this community has come together. If you've not joined our From Hostage to Hero Facebook group, what are you waiting for? That group is smoking. They are posting videos, encouraging each other, um, talking about the podcast, talking about the book. It's it's good times in there. I mean, get in there. This is the time to get in there. You can find us at fromhostagetohero.com. There's a link there to get to the Facebook group. Um, you can also uh, find a way to buy the book. Speaking of the book, uh, I said I would highlight some of the reviews that we've been getting, and I haven't done that yet. So here's a review from Jody M. Uh, on Trial Guides from Hostage to Hero is a must-have on your trial bookshelf. I love how Sari demystifies the process of jury selection and helps you form a group that is willing to hear your client's story and, if done well and with intention, is willing and equipped to help your client with a verdict. This book doesn't preach one right way of doing things, a magic bullet to get big verdicts, but rather breaks down how jurors think about the process of serving on a jury and how to meet jurors where they are so they can be open to your message. The book covers voir dire, opening, case themes, context, storytelling, and the storyteller. I can't say enough about the engaging, smart, practical advice in this book and her podcast. Thank you, Jody M., for your review. That was lovely. I loved reading that. If you would and you like the book, please go to trialguides.com and review it there. And if you like this podcast, please review it wherever you're listening. We would really appreciate that. All right, so today we are talking about how y'all are acting like defense attorneys and we need to get back into the space of what it means to be a plaintiff attorney. Now, here's what I mean by that. I can't tell you how many, yes, I can. I can tell you how many times. It's every time, every time, every time I work with a client on creating their opening statement or their voir dire, but particularly opening statement, because that's where all we're getting into our facts. I hear, but the defense this, or but the defense that, or but the defense is saying this, or but the defense is saying that. Now, if you know how I feel about how the defense has hijacked, or if you don't know how I feel about how the defense has hijacked this entire process, go back and listen to my sermon, because it was a sermon, on haven't you had enough. It's about three or four, maybe five podcast episodes ago. I'm not going to go into a big thing here about that, although I might, who knows? You know, I am recording this live in the moment and we'll see what happens and uh, what will strike me. But what, what I'm talking about here today is how so many of you plaintiff attorneys are turning into defense attorneys because what you're doing as you create your opening statement is defending the defense, so what do I mean by that? So instead of coming out with your story and your strategy and your messaging, your opening statement becomes a series of undermining defense points, meaning you are acting like defense attorneys. If you go to Rick Friedman's book, I believe it's um, his Rules of the Road 
it could be on, on one of his other books. But anyways, he talks about there are three tools that defense attorneys use. And here's what they are. Confusion, complexity, and ambiguity. These are the things that I consistently see in plaintiff opening cases. They are often confused or, or, or confuse me as I listen to them. They're often way too complex and they're not clear at all. Why? Here's why. Because you're afraid of all the defenses in your case. And so what you do is you start chasing them like a dog chasing its tail to make sure you've covered every possible aspect. It's like throwing the spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. Listen, that is a tool of the defense. That's their job. They don't really have to do much. All they have to do is come up with these stupid ass defenses and, and throw them out and try to confuse the jury and smoke signals or, you know, get, get everything unclear and confuse everybody. And the problem is that y'all jump in right after them and act as what, if, if what they're doing matters and is important. Listen, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, it is important. If I don't handle this at trial, then they could win. Well, yes, I'm not saying you don't handle it. Absolutely, we're going to handle it. But when you're making it important and you're using that, you're using their defense, here's what it is. When you are using the defense points to inform what your story is, we have a problem. We have a problem. Because here's, here's what wins cases. I'll tell you right now. It's a clear and compelling story. I don't mean just story in, in, in terms of the story part of your opening. I mean the overall story, the major thing and reason why we're here. And that can almost always, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just correct myself, that can always come down to like one sentence, right? So if you go back to the... Um, haven't you had enough podcast in that one there was a, a med mal case where we, it all just comes down to if they fucking intubated the patient we wouldn't be here period end of story that is true in all of your cases it comes down to one thing maybe three things but it comes basically it can be boiled down that's your story now when we get there so often you're like, yeah, but they're going to say this. Yeah, but they're going to say that. Yeah, but they're going to say, okay, fine. What the hell does that have to do with the truth? That's what you guys keep forgetting is that you have the truth on your side. This is what this case is about. And if you don't come out swinging and totally owning your very simple and clear case theme slash story, that's why we lose cases right there because instead what we do is we come out and we have our opening resembles a defense of the defense's opening right we're defending what they're going to say before they even say it so our we make them more important than they are please stop doing this i beg of you i beg of you you've got to get your story clear first so here's how I suggest you handle that, okay? So if you um, have my book, you can follow the template along in there, but there's really uh, two or three parts of the template I want to talk about today, maybe four, four parts. So there's the hook 
that's really the the focusing of the jury's attention. So in the book, I talk about three types of hooks. There's many types of hooks, but the whole point of the hook is just to get that the hook their attention. So in the book, it could be a statistic, it could be a compelling statement, or it could be an opening rule. 90% of my cases use an opening rule that I help work up. So whatever it is, it's got to focus the jury's attention and it's short and to the point. Okay. So that's all I'm going to say about the hook because this isn't about the hook right now. What this is really about is the story. I'm sorry, the teaching section or what I call the educate the jury section, the story, the defendant's story, meaning of what they did, and then the challenges. Those are the three things I want to talk about. So here's how you do this. As you are moving through your content and you are trying to figure out whether you're, t just imagine you're talking to this with me, okay? So you're saying, sorry, this is what my case is about. And you start telling me about the case. Here's what would happen. I would stop you and I would say, okay, I hear what happened. What should have happened? Now, the moment that you ask yourself that question, that the answer to that is your educate the jury section, okay? Your educate the jury section is all about what should have happened, how this gets done right. So if you're talking about how to deal with a patient who is at risk to stop breathing, you're gonna teach about how uh, you can identify that, how hospitals and, and medical professionals then... Um, what they can do, which is the intubation, and then how that intubation is done, right? So you're, you're, you're kind of outlining what should have happened. Now, as you tell your story, I'm probably, as a trial consultant, making notes about what did happen. So that's our story section, right? So I'm getting both of it from you. And you can do this again on your own. So anything that did happen, that's defendant's story. You're telling the story of what did happen. And I suggest, not always, but most of the time, that you tell that from the defendant's point of view. Because then we're seeing them go through and willingly choose to not take the steps that you just outlined in your educate the jury section. Okay. So that's what pisses the jury off is when it feels like it's intentional, not intentional to hurt because that's always where we get caught up in these, in these cases. Is it not? Is that we, we start to think about, uh, or jurors start to think about, well, they didn't mean to hurt anybody. And then they let them off the hook. So instead of trying to communicate that a doctor or anyone else meant to hurt someone, because that's really rarely the case. Uh, what we can do is show that they did willingly not take steps. They did make choices that had consequences. So that's where you can bring in that motivation or that motive piece. We don't talk about motive much in plaintiff cases, but it is definitely alive in the plaintiff case. Jurors want motive. So we can, we can show that active, not just like shit happens, because that's the thing about the shit happens uh, scenario is that it's inactive, right? Things were just set in motion and nobody could stop it. Shit happens. That's what we want to get away from. So the more you can tell the story from the point of choice and choices being made and those being the wrong choices, the more likely we can prove liability in our cases. So as you're going through your story, I am a as a trial consultant and now you on your own are listening for two things. You are listening for what did happen and what should have happened. And the that's the clear delineation between teaching 
and storytelling. All right. Now, as you tell me the story, however, and even in your own brain, a third thing happens. And what is that? Yeah, but the defense. Okay. Anytime I hear that, anytime you say it or think it, automatically put that in the challenges bucket. So the challenges part of my template is the part where you're going to undermine the defenses. Okay, that's the part where you get to play with all the things the defense, not all of them, but the big ones that the defense is going to bring up. Now, we put it in the challenges section, which is later in the opening. Why? Because it's not fucking important or as important. This is my point. If you start off your opening defending the defense points, you make it important. You're saying what they're saying is important. It's so important, in fact, that I need to tell you why they're wrong. This is the wrong nonverbal and verbal approach, my friends. You have to come swinging, come out swinging with your strong story and educate the, the jury. So that gives them context for the story. And then later... You can then say what I call the yeah, but section. So here's how it works. Hook, then we educate the jury. Now, when you're educating the jury, make sure that you keep that neutral. So don't talk about this hospital. Don't talk about this doctor. Don't talk about this driver. Don't talk about this company. Talk about hospitals, doctors, drivers, companies. Why? Because... If we do it the other way, then it's like we're picking on this one company or this one driver or this one doctor. And what we're saying is when we're teaching, for example, this applies to all hospitals. This applies to all drivers. This applies to all companies. This rule is so common sense. This rule is such a big safety rule, whatever the case may be, that everybody has to comply. That makes it weightier. So take out the personal details. So hospitals must do these three things when they see a patient um, who may have trouble struggling with breathing, right? Do you see how much more impactful that is? Hospitals do this. So we normalize it. We say this is the standard of care. Even with that, we're not using that word, right? And so then when, when they hear the story, which comes next, the jurors are like, oh, okay, this hospital is acting outside the norm. They are doing the thing that you just said all hospitals, or they're not doing the thing you just said all hospitals have to do. So that's why teaching comes first. So many of you come to my office and they go, I want to teach about this later. Why? You're missing an opportunity. Jurors, let me say this, jurors cannot properly uh, judge conduct without context. Let me say that again. Jurors cannot properly judge conduct without context. They, they are not experts in medicine. They are not experts in how to safely put a, a, a product to market. They are not experts, maybe in driving. So your teaching section would not be as long in a, a standard car crash case because we don't want to, you know, infant, 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 infantilize. I, you know, y'all know English is my second language. So I'm constantly trying to think whatever that word is. We don't want to make them feel stupid. So our teaching section wouldn't be so long in that case. So the point is, though, because they don't know, if you just jump into the story and you start telling the story, they are like, is that is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. That's why we have the teaching section first. And that's why we make the teaching section neutral because people go, well, you can't teach because it's too advocating. Not if you take names out you and just talk about it. Now, here's the other place where people get into trouble is because they don't want to teach, but they can't tell the story without context. 
they start telling the story and then kind of stopping and going, well, here's what this means and here's what this term means and here's what they should have done. That makes your story messy. Keep your story clean. So also as you're going through your story and you're telling me what should have happened, what did happen, anytime you have to stop yourself and go, well, let me explain, sorry, what this is, that goes in teaching. Well, here's what this term means. That goes in teaching. Don't put it in the story. It drags the story down. So many of your stories suck, (laughs) I'm sorry to say, because you're trying to do too much. You're trying to advocate. You're trying to teach. You're trying to storytell. You're trying to deal with the defenses. No, just clean up your story. It's a story. Let me take you to March 15th, 2020. The world came to an end with the pandemic, you know, whatever it may be. Tell a story. We've already done teaching so they know what the context is. And later we're going to do challenges, which brings me to the third thing, challenges. So if you have resisted the urge to go, but the defense, but the defense, but the defense. Can you put all that in that bucket? Now let's look at that bucket. So in that bucket should be, well, you know, you don't have to intubate. And let's say this is something they're saying, um, unless X, Y, Z happens. All right. Or we don't have to do that because it'd be unfair. So I'm thinking my anesthesiology case. You know what? We don't call the police if we're not sure if the person actually molested someone, right? Or whatever. So here's where you get to deal with that. But because we've saved it for later, we've already really had the strong persuasion. Here's what should have happened. Here's what did happen. Jurors are like, okay, I'm with you. And now the challenges section just wraps up loose ends. Because now the jury's like, okay, I'm with you. But... Yeah, but, and this is where you get to say, okay, and you may even use those words. So this happened, but you may be wondering, you know, do they really need to call the police? I mean, what if the guy didn't do it? Shouldn't we be sure? And notice how I'm saying that in a question, because why? Because the jurors thinking questions. And when I can use a question, I connect with their brain. I don't say, and then we wondered whether or not they actually had to call the police. That's a statement. That's not how jurors think. Jurors thinking questions, at least at this point of the opening, where they're kind of like, I'm with you, but I've still got these things hanging out in my brain. So use your question. And then you say, yeah, but then we also wondered, I mean, isn't it possible that he was doing fine and they should have let him go? Thinking about, you know, a, a case involving suicide, right? So use the, the, the what the defense is going to say, but not till later. This makes it a couple things. It makes it clean. So we give the jury context and they're like, all right, I got the context. Then we tell them the story and they're like, oh my God, they're horrified because you've just told them the context. And and then they're hearing this. They're like, wait a minute, that doctor didn't do what you said they're supposed to do. Wait a minute, they didn't do this thing that you said, right? So they're now pissed. And then you wrap up loose ends when you get to the challenges section by saying, yeah, but, and you handle all the defense stuff there. This is how you firmly stand in plaintiff ground, my friends. And don't get pulled into defending the defense's points, right? We're we're not just a second version of defense attorneys. We come out swinging with, this is what should happen. And here's how it didn't. Let me show you. And here's all their lazy excuses of why not. That is the order. There's some pieces I've left out, like who we're suing and why, and then of course, which comes before challenges. I call that the why we're here section. And then after challenges, we have all of our damages stuff, right? But I'm just talking about these three pieces, which really incorporate, if you've been following the podcast or my book, the three areas I think that we always are in in trial. We are either teaching, storytelling, or dealing with resistance. There they are. Teaching section, story section, 
challenges section, which is dealing with resistance. That's so important that you get that trial is about those three things and that you also get those three things need to happen in a certain order and on their own, not all schmoozled together because that's where we get back to ambiguity, 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 I can say that word, confusion and complexity. And that's what we want to avoid. Listen, listen, your cases are all simple. I have never had a complex case ever and I've worked hundreds of cases and I know that raises some of your hackles my case is complex no it's not they're all simple they all deal with simple human problems somebody was lazy somebody was hurtful somebody was not paying attention right that's all the themes in our cases somebody shouldn't have been lazy somebody should have been paying attention right it's easy if you make it easy and I know you guys look at me and you go, but how, sorry, how do you do that? Well, you got to stop thinking like a defense attorney. Start thinking like a plaintiff attorney. Come on now. They've got you scared. Go back to that, that, that episode. Haven't you had enough? Listen, stories are compelling. Clear, simple stories are compelling. What is What should have happened? What did happen? And yeah, here's what they're going to say about it. But it's like an afterthought, right? Not an afterthought in that we don't think about it, but that we don't make it important in our opening. We cover it, yes, so we can give our spin on it before the defense gets up, but we don't make it important because here's the point. It's not important. It's bullshit. You know it. They know it. It's bullshit. It's pointing fingers, passing the buck, all of the things that they do. Don't make it important. And for Christ's sake, don't or stop acting like defense attorneys. You're plaintiff attorneys and you should be proud to be so. I hope this was helpful and not too preachy, but doubtful. It's probably pretty preachy. But y'all love my preaching. Come on now, admit it. Give me a review. Give me a review if you would. I'm on a mission to increase my reviews. Thank you. Love y'all. Hope you're hanging in during this time. Hope this helps. Talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.